Let's join together in prayer. Dear Lord, we we sing those words and uh, many of us, I don't even think we we realize what we're we're saying, but if if you think about it, that you, God, are an all-consuming fire, that when you consume us, we find life. Because it's not about us anymore. It's about you. It's about you in our life and through our life. As Jesus said, he who's willing to, to give their life away finds it. So many of us, and I'll, I'll say us, uh, we strive, we make idols of, of the wrong thing. An idol is not just some stone statue. It's a, it can be a family, it can be a child, it can be a spouse, it can be, it can be a sporting career, it can be a position, it can be a person. My prayer is that you would consume this church, you would consume its people, where they would go out of here, because it's not about just coming in, but go out into schools and jobs and Sunday dinners and families and show the light of Christ. And when people hurt us as they do and the devil attacks us, we would love, we would love, and they would see you, Jesus. Make that so day by day, Sunday to Sunday, through the week, right now. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat uh, as our worship team takes a seat and our children take off. Y'all can get your Bible and turn with me to 1 John, not John, 1 John, towards the back of your Bible, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4. I'm going to be reading starting verse 7 through 21. But before I do that, I want to share a little bit. We are in a a three-part series that we started last week, uh, and it is called Pillars. Uh, I love these pillars that, uh, uh, again, I'm no building guy, but uh, I guess they help hold the church up. And the idea behind this three-part series uh, that I'm calling Pillars is really to think about, or you all to ask yourselves a question uh, what holds us together? What, as a church, as a church body, what holds us together? Is it or, or could it be uh, a shared past? Uh, y'all saw a couple folks up here, leaders of our church. Uh, we have a past together uh, that, uh, that many of y'all are a part of, a, a shared past from starting this church uh, to seeing it grow, to see it here. Is that what holds us together? Uh, is, it, uh, is it certain uh, relationships, uh, certain friends that are here? It's like, you know, I, I love them, I love that person. That's really what holds me, what connects me. Uh, is it a building or just a sense of place? Or is it all those that, that hold us together? Uh, see, all, all of us, and I'll say us again, uh, we, we come into church or churches and, and we really have uh, our own agenda. Our own agenda. Often, and there can be many, but, but often the agenda can be uh, to meet or to make friends. And we'll say, hey, I, I want to be part of this church. I want to connect in this church because I like these people and I want to make friends here. And, and that, is, that is part of it. But that, that's, a, that's an agenda of our own. Another agenda, I talked about it last week, and I'm kind of giving a recap of last week or part of it, but can be uh, my mission. 
Because everybody senses, like, uh, you know, well, God's, you know, given me uh, this call and these gifts and these talents, and I can use them here. You know, a great example, and, and we've talked about that, Chris and Tyler, is, is worship. And, you know, you say, hey, I have this gift of music and singing, which I don't. But, you know, I can say, hey, I can come here and, you know, be part of it. And, you know, but it's my deal. It's my call. It's my mission. It's also an agenda. Or the agenda can even be, get this, just about the church in and of itself. And saying, look at the church uh, that I'm part of. Look at it grow, or look at it go. Look at the building, you know, that we just acquired. Look at all that God is, is doing here. And you heard me say this last week, and I'll say it again just so you know that kind of my, my philosophy is that, you know, I, I'm never big about saying what God is doing here in Bellwether Church. Because that's, that's not the point. God's doing something everywhere. My deal is to get all of you to go out there to schools, to football games, to parties, to jobs, to serve Jesus out there, to, to reach the world for Christ. Because that's God's agenda. God's agenda is different than our agenda. God's agenda is first our growth through joys, through blessings, and yes, through trials. God's agenda is reaching other people uh, to have a community, have a family, yes, a church, but to find Jesus. And we're the means to that end. So we've got to go out. And God's agenda is also reaching the world. I like to say this. I love to say this. You know, what we're about is going to neighbors and nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and I've said this. My MO, unapologetically is to do, and it wasn't always this way in my life, but to do all I can in the time I have with the gifts God has given me, and at least there's one, to Christianize the world. Hear me out. Do all I can in the time I have with what God's given me to Christianize the world. Now that sounds like, well, it is unapologetically Christian, but I I look at that maybe in a different way than some. That means i got to listen more instead of talking. Because there are a lot of people with questions. There are people with questions in here, doubts in here. There are people in here that you're, you may be coming visiting. You're like, you know, I don't know about this church deal. And man, I saw you raise your hand. And you know, other folks raise your hand. And, you know, kind of kooky or whatever. I get that. So sometimes it's to listen. It's to be patient. It's to open our home, which we try to do as often as possible for people in this church, for people outside this church. And it ain't about growing the church. It's about Christianizing the world. It's also about uh, being intentional, about getting to know God's Word over and over again, day to day, and I do miss days too. It's about being intentional in praying and prayer. Uh, it's about being intentional in having groups or people around me that will hold me accountable, that will both mentor me, and that also I can give to and speak into their lives. It also means setting the pace and taking risks, taking risks locally. In this neighborhood with neighbors taking risks globally, setting the paces to go. You know, that, I mean, there, there is a reason that, you know, we're in Honduras, we're outside Dubai, we're in Italy, we're in India. And it's not just because of me, but because the other f- folks here have seen a vision. It's a bigger vision, bigger than any person in church. Like, look at what God's doing out there. See this big God. And people want to be part of that. And God's opened doors through relationships 
and opportunities for us to go. But it's tough. This whole MO of Christianizing the world, it is very, very tough. It's tough here. At Bellwether Church, it's tough around the world. I gave a little history lesson. So here's a, hopefully, no more than 90-second history lesson. But it's important uh, for some of us to, to think about this and get. So the history lesson is, you know, when the church started, Acts and the first couple hundred years after that, the church, Christians, were, were heavily persecuted. And the church grew more than ever from Jerusalem in the Middle East all up towards Turkey, Greece, or what's now Turkey, Greece, into Rome, down into Africa. I mean, just spread like wildfire. And then around 350, 380 A.D., an emperor tied the Christian faith, Emperor Constantine, to cultural and political power. And so the church then, where they were being persecuted, all of a sudden they had all this, all this power within the culture, which meant money, which meant influence, which meant status. And it was good in certain ways. You can go now to all the cathedrals being built. Think about it. I mean, it, they were tied to power. Somebody had to finance those cathedrals. Buildings cost. Marty, Amen. Amen. And so, but they had all these resources. But the church started dying in Europe. And if you visit those cathedrals now, what are they? Are they full? Are they? Yes or no? No, they're not. Okay. And then came on, I'm going to see real quick. Then came this, this time called the Enlightenment. Now, before you like check out, like, man, I don't need a history lesson here. The Enlightenment basically said, everything that you need in life is in you, is in you. You don't need anything outside of you to help. It's all in you. Your mind, your emotions, your will, which Christianity is totally different. Christianity says we are in desperate need of something outside of us, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to save us, and we don't have what it takes in us. So this deal called the Enlightenment said church falls, Christianity falls, and guess what? Our own country was founded by the principles of the Enlightenment that we have what it takes for life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And so a lot of our, our way of thinking is based in something that is actually counter to historical, biblical faith and truth that's in us. And, and we even see it now in our churches, okay? And even in this church, we fall, we all, these, these temptations of comfort and consumerism there's a guy that uh, I admire, and I listen to him a lot. His name's Matt Chandler. He pastors uh, a great church over in Dallas. He's president of this church plant network that we are applying to, Acts 29. And he says it like this. You know, we're so consumed with how comfortable we can be in church and what the church can give us. It's almost like, you know, we churches are competing with, you know, how comfortable can we make our, our folks feel? So, so like he would say, the best example is like, you know, we, we hope your chairs are nice. You know, we're working here to maybe, you know, have some, uh, you know, recliners. Would that be good? Would y'all like that? You know, I don't know how you feel about the chairs, but you might go to one chair. I, I'm kind of more comfortable in that chair. So, so he would say, you know, we're working to bring some recliners in here, maybe all chairs recliners, you know, lean back, you know, have a place where you can sit your drink, you know, and uh, coffee and all that. And then, then kids ministry too, well, like, you know, what church takes care of my kids best? And, you know, we get into this, this phase where it's like, you know, a church, it's, it's on and on about how happy can we make our kids and, and the parents. And it's like you want to build this, 
this monstrous slide from the Sunday school class and just, you know, slide the kid right to the car. And they got a snow cone in their hand. And they're like, Mommy, Daddy, you know, had a great time today. And they're like, man, that was awesome. Comfy chair. Oh, yeah, forgot the little buzzer. If, in fact, the kid has a problem, you can go see him. And we'll just, you know, whoosh him away, ready to go. Like, man, I love that church. Amen. Good stuff. You see what I'm talking about? And we, we can get like, that's, that's kind of what we want and what we expect from our places of worship. And so that's why we're saying there have to be things that hold us together that are outside of us, that are biblical, and it's greater than, I mean, it's greater than this world. It's greater than our relationships even, our friendships. So we're saying pillars, what holds us together. And if it doesn't, then it should. And we're going to move into these pillars. So we have three pillars. We did three weeks. Last week we talked about see a big God. Today we talk about love the other person. And next week, as I said, we're talking about going to the world. And, you know, I love, those are action verbs at the beginning of those sentences. And our brother Hunter, youth leader, came up. You know, it just said see, love, go. I love that. You're going to be hearing more of that. See, love, go. See, love, go. So today, I want to talk about love the other person. You know, love is a, it's a cultural value. What I mean is like you hear that all the time, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, watching the Super Bowl this year, I, was, I still remember it struck, and I did watch the halftime show, and they did something where all the people got together and had signs, and they just put up one word all together, you know, in the, uh, in the stadium, and it just said love. You know, that's... That's the main deal, love, whether they're a Christian or not. I think it's very easy to love people that you like. Can I get an amen there? Amen. I mean, it's easy. It's also easy to love people that you want them to like you. So we see this all the time. You know, I want to get in on this relationship. I want to get get in on this crowd. I want to get in on this supper club or whatever. So we'll love them. But we intentionally said love the other person, which I would call, you know, like, the uncool person or the one in the shadows, the one left out. And, and all of us, I think, have been at some point left out. We know how that feels. And so we're called to love that person that maybe nobody else sees. That's how I want us to be as a church. It's actually what our church was founded upon. One verse, many of you or several of you know that John 10, 16, put up on the screen. This is our theme. It is our theme verse, John 10, 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is not content with his disciples or his church. He's like, there are others out there. i got to go to them. If we follow him, we do the same. So I'm going to read in our Bible 1 John 4, and then talk about loving others, others who are hurting, others who are overlooked, and then others here in these walls. 1 John 4, and we'll start with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins." Beloved, if God is so loved, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, 
God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot love, who he has not seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. A lot about love in there. One of the reasons I chose this. But I want to break it down briefly here. I was talking to uh, this college student this week. Um, I taught him while I was in high school. He was here visiting. He has... uh, I'm really proud of him. He's really grown in his faith. He's uh, become a leader uh, at his college. And so I was sitting down with him, and I asked him, I was like, you know, what's helped you grow so much in these last couple years? You know, college and temptations. And I was very surprised by his answer. You know, I was thinking, oh, I've got, you know, good friends. I've got uh, a good group. I've connected to a good college ministry, blah, blah. He just said one word. He just said love. He said love. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, because when I see other people that, that the love just, you know, just radiates, emanates from them, it, it inspires me uh, to have that love, which is Christ in me, and then also to love others. So, again, the question was, how are you growing? And his answer was, love. Love. So, I want us, as a church, to be known by love. And, and I think that his response reflects what, it, what this passage opened up with. It just says, let us love one another. Love is from God. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And look at this, his love is perfected in us. That word perfection, you know, you've got to grow to be perfect. If his love is in us, he is, he is perfecting us. So how do, how do we love the, the tough folks? And So I kind of broke this down into, into three categories. Others who are hurting, others who are overlooked, and others here in our body. First, others who are hurting. Anybody been hurt by someone? I think we should all raise our hand. You don't have any... Have you ever hurt someone? There you go. Thank you for those... So how do we love others if they've hurt us? How do we love others who are hurting? Maybe whom we have hurt it. How do we do this? I, was, uh, I had this very situation. So I had a relationship, and there was hurt there. They had hurt me, and I had actually hurt them. Not intentionally, okay, but it does happen. So there's hurt in this relationship. So I was talking to a mentor of mine who's another pastor, and I was like, what do you do? He said, you, you say two things. I said, what do you say? Meet with the person, visit with the person, talk to the person on the phone and just say, I love you. I'm sorry. 
It's that simple. Sit down with the person, talk to the person, say, I love you. I'm sorry. And he said, say it over and over again if you have to. Then I was like, well, what about my hurt, you know? I mean, this, this person hurt me. Never forget what he said. Bury it. It's like, bury it in the ground. And then I will never forget a, a literal example of that. I had a brother who was with us on one of our Honduras trips. And those of you who, who go to Honduras know when we, when we build a house, we also have to dig uh, this big hole, which will essentially be like the septic tank. And so most of, uh, for some of us at least, our weeks are spent digging this hole and digging it down like 10 feet. And so there's one brother, I won't say his name, but he was deeply hurt. And there was a lot of hurt in some relationships in his life. And every time a team goes down there, I will, uh, I'll say to the team, I was like, what do you want to leave here and what do you want to take from here? And he was very clear. He said, I want to leave my pain. I want to leave my hurt. And so he, he said, he's like, I left it in that hole in Honduras. He was digging at it all week. He said, I left it there. And I remember that. Bury it. Those who are hurting, those who've hurt us, I love you. I'm sorry. Now, I think it specifically ties to this passage. Look at this. Verse 17. It says that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. That says a couple things. It says, one, there's going to be a day of judgment. I mean, John is writing to Christians. And then he says, we may have confidence. So what I take in that is, as we stand before the Lord one day, and you all will, we all will, we'll stand before the Lord and give an account. We can have confidence that we did everything in our power when we say, I love you, I'm sorry. Then, in that same, in that same encounter with that person who may have hurt us, we could think, you know, they're going to say something that's going to hurt me, that's going to... I'm a, we can literally like be afraid of their words. Look at this next verse. There is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. Is there no greater example of perfect love than loving someone who's hurt us, deeply wounded us? That perfect love casts out the fear. That is something that is not in us. That has to come from outside of us, supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And then it says, you can't hate. Essentially, you can't hate if you're a Christian. So he's talking about brothers at the end of this. He says, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother. And when John writes brother, he means a Christian. It's not a biological brother. It's a greater relationship, the family of God. And so he says, you can't say you love God and then hate someone in the family. It's impossible. Uh, that passage speaks to me because there's still people that I've hurt and there's still people who've hurt me. And we say, I love you. I'm sorry. Others who are overlooked. Others who are overlooked. I mean by this, that's why I can say it, and this may be, I mean, I don't know how you would say it, you know, the, the uncool uh, the people who um, are overlooked in the shadows um, don't get a lot of attention. I would say this, and this passage tells us, do we see with God's eyes? Because, as it says, verse 13, He has given us of His Spirit. And if He's given us of His Spirit, then we see with Spirit-saturated eyes and speak with a Spirit-saturated voice. And then look at this, back to verse 17. I, I never had really 
thought about this, and it convicted me this week. End of verse 17. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Uh, I, I pray, as the light comes on, so that means something. I pray that that convict, as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. That's heavy. As he is, so are we in this world. Who did he go to? He went to the overlooked. The disciples. They were not some chosen 12. I mean, they were like outcasts. Women were outcasts then. Those sick lepers. He always went to those overlooked. And so should we. Uh, I have some personal experience with this, and and I want to share a couple words. Uh, My wife and I both do. Uh, and I don't, I don't talk about this much. Uh, I am today. Lord convicted me of it. You know, our, our middle son, Logan, would be technically what you call on the autism spectrum. So he has some challenges. I mean, he'd be considered special needs. I don't like to talk a lot about it um, in a sermon. One, I can get emotional real easy. But two, I mean, it's like, you know, use him as an example for sermon. But prayed about it, and Lord, you know, really made sense to me. So, you know, we have this personal experience with another, you know, another person. And, uh, you know, interestingly, Logan is the only one that when we put him to bed, he's the only one that wants to snuggle with Daddy. You know, the other two, Jack and Ethan, they want to snuggle with Mommy. Logan, it's always snuggle with Daddy, snuggle with Daddy. Uh, he and I are, are probably the most alike, okay? Be, truth be told there. Um, but he wants to snuggle with Daddy. And so I snuggle him every night. I'm home. I'm snuggling with him. We pray. And I, I'll put, uh, you know, hold him this angle, and I'll put my, this hand over his head sometimes, and, and I'll pray to God, and I'll say, you know, Lord, help his mind, grow his mind, you know, every night. And because I know, you know, what he's facing. And then the other night, that's why I never do this. Um, the other night, though, we were at the dinner table, and my wife, who's a lot more uh, focused and uh, intentional and really a lot more disciplined uh, than I am, and, and those of you know, who know me, I mean, um, you, you know that to be true, discipline being the key word. But uh, so Jack, we were talking, and, you know, they're starting school, and, you know, Jack said, uh, you know, well, Logan's not going to my school, and he said, maybe one day he'll be smart enough to go there. And, and Linda said, he's smart enough now. Um, you know, we just need to go to a different school. Then she said, said, you know, Jack, said, you know, one day people will probably pick on him. and You better be ready. And Jack said, don't worry, Mom. You know, I'll be ready. I say all that. Because, I mean, the Lord really convicts me about, you know, those who are overlooked. Truth is, we've all been overlooked. And we all carry different challenges. But as a church, we need to look and see, you know, those who are being overlooked. So I want to read you this quote. And I read it a couple months ago. It's from a guy named Russell Moore. I quote him a lot. He wrote a great book called Onward. He's a Mississippian, which I love. Uh, he's a Baptist, uh, which I love. 
and uh, he's from the coast. Um, so anyway, he uh, actually works in Washington, D.C. right now, Russell Moore. And uh, he said this about those overlooked, and the church is an example. Please listen to this. It really convicted me. He said, sometimes, without knowing it, we, as the church, have prized the powerful over the powerless. Can we stop highlighting how God blesses the millionaire with ties? Let's stop trumpeting only the celebrity athletes and beauty queens as evidence of God's blessing. Let's show that God has blessed us in a Christ who never had a successful career or a balanced bank account, but who was blessed by God with life and with children that no one can number from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. What would it mean for your witness if your church were served by a deacon or worship leader with Down syndrome? What would it mean for your witness if the person reading Scripture isn't polished for performance, but instead is the stammering voice of an elderly woman in the beginning stages of dementia? It would say life is about more than perceived usefulness. Our witness, and I'll say it's ours here, ought to be seen in pews filled with unwed mothers who are welcomed, not shamed. Our witness ought to be seen in Sunday schools filled with children with fetal alcohol syndrome and autism and cerebral palsy and AIDS who are hugged and loved and received because we see in them Jesus and because we embrace a gospel that told us a long, long time ago that life is better than death. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, uh, you can check out the book. Sorry. I wish I'd have wrote that. Kind of felt like a flip there. I don't think it hurt the piano. But, man, I mean, that's like, when I, read, I read that a couple months ago. Man, that's who I want to be, you know? That's who the church needs to be. There's so many overlooked. And, you know, last thing I'd say with that is, I love the story of the woman at the well. We're not looking at that scripture passage, but what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? And I want to highlight one verse up there, John 4, 16. John 4, 16. Jesus said, go, call your husband, and come here. That's a very simple verse. Jesus didn't say just go and don't come back. He also said, go, call your husband. And he knew she'd had like five husbands and was living with a guy. He didn't leave it there. He says, y'all both come here. Because Jesus is for that woman. Jesus is for that guy that she's shacking up with. Jesus is for all. And we need to be for all too. And then last thing, I talk about others hurting, others overlooked, real quick, what I call others here. And the last verse in this passage, 1 John, it says, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I already said, brother, when John writes, means brother in Christ, sister in Christ. So Christians here, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So loving others here. Uh, particularly, I don't, it's not exclusive, but particularly, I mean, members or people called here say, man, I want to I grow here. We've got to love one another. And I say that, and I said the same thing this week, and I'm going to use this example at least until I have a cast, and I may have a cast. So uh, this little pinky finger uh, got, uh, I thought it was jammed 
in a basketball game in Honduras. We do play basketball. Uh, the guy who jammed it is here uh, today. Uh, I, th- I thank him over and over again. Yeah, so he, uh, anyway, it, you know, it jammed, and I was like, oh, you know, the jam finger, and I had our good doctor check on it down there. Uh, he misdiagnosed, okay? He's like, oh, no problems, man. I mean, nothing, nothing broke or anything. Well, man, now, now seven weeks later, I don't know if you can see, but it, it's, it's still swollen, still hurts, and over and over again in the New Testament, the church is a body. Uh, it's called a body. So, as in like, you know, our, our bodies, called to this church, we're a body. We're, we're united. We're, we're connected. We're together. And if one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And I can tell you, little finger, the whole body hurts, okay? So, if you're here and you're like, if you're called here, like, I'm just a little finger, you matter. You matter to the body. But what, what I want to talk about today, when I say others who are hurting, what, what I've noticed myself do, and I'll be in the middle of a conversation or something, I'll use this hand, and I'll be talking, and I'll hold the finger. And so I thought about that this week. I was like, you know, if there's somebody hurting here, we want to know about it. So the hand can, can hold the finger. Or last week at, uh, at youth, I tried to play basketball, so I taped this finger. It didn't do much good, but playing basketball, but I taped the finger. And so think about that. As a church, as a body, you know, we need another part and be taped so tight. It's like, you're not leaving me. We're sticking together. You know, we're, we're wrapped around each other. And so we are, that's how we're called. We're not fragmented parts. We're, we're together. And that, this little pinky God's used to illustrate, like, you know, if one pinky ear's hurting, you've got to hold it, got to wrap around, and we've got to love. Now, last thing, and I'm going to close with a prayer. How do we, how do we start? How do we start? Remember your baptism, if you've been baptized. I remember my baptism, seventh grade. I still feel the water going down. I still remember mentally saying, God, my life is yours. May 1987. Remember your baptism. The passage we just read, I believe it's verse 9 and 10. God gave his son as a propitiation of our sins. It also says we love because he first loved us. Because in baptism, it's individual, and we're about to see it individually, that Jesus loves these people. And Jesus loves you. So it's individual in that nature that he washes over our lives, our heart. We need to be washed clean. He makes us that way. We see, and going down and coming up, new life, now and forever. We believe, and it is biblical, bodies, unless Jesus comes first, well, if He comes first, that'll have to do. Bodies will be raised from the dead. So we're seeing a preview of that here. So it's individual for you and for those being baptized, but it is also communal. Uh, And if you haven't been here, you will see how we do baptism And we come around you, the body, because it's for us too. It's individual and it is communal. So if you have not been baptized, and I came in and we opened the service, we had three, now we got four, praise God. But if you have not been baptized, we were in Honduras, and we were all talking and somebody was getting baptized, and then I talked to a young lady and I said, it's a great day to be baptized. She said, it sure is. 
And she got baptized. So it's a great day if you have not been baptized. And if you'd like to be baptized spontaneously, like you didn't come in here planning, that's okay. We got towels. We got T-shirts. Uh, we got a leader that'll be in the back, an elder, David Carroll. You can just go right to the glass doors and talk to him. If you have been baptized here, I would just say this, closing up. Three words. See, love, go. That's what you're seeing. And if you have not been baptized, same thing. See, love, go. And may it minister to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that your love goes in us individually, through us as a church. May we love those hurting, those who've hurt us, those overlooked, and those here, and those here today. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. We celebrate baptism. In your name we pray. Amen.